when the condition becomes severe and even disabling and you go to make a claim to the VA, it's important to make sure that that condition was noted while you were actually in the service or at worst within a very short period after you left the service. Welcome to the Victory Over VA podcast. A podcast about empowering veterans to overcome denied disability claims. Each week, we deliver critical insights to help you understand the disability process, veterans' benefits, and how to take control of your legal rights. Now, here's your host, Tony Francis Jackson. Welcome to our podcast series. This is Victory Over the VA. It's your guide to unlocking the disability benefits that are available from the VA. I'm Francis Jackson. I uh, work with veterans who are seeking disability benefits from the VA. And this series is for all veterans and those who are concerned about veterans. So today's podcast is about the importance of recording courage. That is to say, making sure that while you're in the service, you report injuries and illnesses and make sure that those are recorded in your service records. And this particular episode is a little different in that we're really talking to folks who are about to become veterans, folks who are leaving the service. Hmm. Or really, those who are thinking of enlisting, too, because That's true. this really is, is important uh, at any moment prior to discharge. That's true. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about why it is so crucial to report all sure. in-service sure. incidents, injuries, illnesses, etc.? Sure. Well, Commandment 5, as I said, is all about showing that you have suffered a particular injury or illness in service. Now, keep in mind that most people who go into the service go in quite young. Uh, it's common to go in at the ages of 18, 19. Even some people with parental permission go in before that. Typically, uh, almost everybody who goes in is not much uh, older than early 20s at best. And so lots of physical injuries happen in the service. Sometimes they're service directly related in the sense of injuries in training. Sometimes they're injuries that occur during the period someone's actively in the service, but away from their actual assigned duty station. Uh, auto accidents are a common one, but it's critically important to make sure that whenever there's an injury or an illness, it's recorded in the service records. And the reason for that is that years later, when the condition becomes severe and even disabling, and you go to make a claim to the VA, it's important to make sure that that condition was noted while you were actually in the service, or at worst, within a very short period after you left the service. Um, can you think of any examples off the top of your head where you had uh, a case where, you know, somebody's in-service documentation made all the difference? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, there are, there are a number of cases. Uh, 
where the uh, the fact that the military records showed various incidents was critical to the case, and those those included uh, several cases where there were car accidents or motorcycle accidents that took place while a person was in the service, even though it wasn't while they were actively at their assigned duties. Nonetheless, as long as it occurred while they were in the service, while they were on active duty, then that is an allowable basis for a later claim for service connection. And I, uh, we've had more of those than I can count. Uh, but um, in addition to that, reporting that there have been incidents which did not take place on military facilities is just uh, critical to a, a large number of cases. I mentioned auto accidents, motorcycle accidents. There have been a variety of others, uh, hunting accidents, uh, you know, anything that causes a significant physical injury or an emotional injury. One case that we had where it was only tangentially shown in the medical rec in the service records, and so it took some time to sort out what was going on, but the service records reflected that the veteran was having marital difficulties. Hmm. And it turned out that the reason he was having marital difficulties is that his daughter had been one of those one in a million cases where uh, a vaccine had caused serious neurological problems. There's a special drug program run by the United States government for vaccine claims, and there are a few of them every year, uh, but that's not the, the critical point here. The critical point is that this incident occurred while he was on active duty and was so powerful, essentially, it, it rendered his daughter unable to function. And this is a, a small child. If I remember correctly, she was like five or six years old at the time. And it was devastating to both the veteran and his wife. They had terrible problems dealing with the guilt and frustration and anger between themselves and uh, caused him all kinds of marital problems and ultimately led to his leaving the service. But the the descriptors in the service records were so vague that it wasn't until you dug into the details that it became clear that that was the source of his depression. He uh, suffered serious depression from, increasingly serious depression from that point forward, including after he left the military and ultimately became just unable to, to function in a work setting at all. But the, the references in the record were so nebulous that it took a lot of fleshing out to, to establish why it was significant. But the point is that if there hadn't been that reference to marital difficulties while he was in the service, he probably would not have won his claim, even though those other details were available. It was the fact that it demonstrated undisputably that it happened while he was still in the service that ultimately was the key to, to getting him service-connected benefits for his depression. What steps can, can our service members take 
you know, when they're there in the moment to make sure that, that you know, any incidents that may go unreported instead get documented? How can they ensure accurate and, and thorough documentation? Well, as, as coincidence would have it, I was speaking yesterday with a woman who is retired as a colonel in the Air Force, and she was uh, a nurse, and her, her job as a colonel was actually supervising a hospital. Um, but the reason the, the conversation is so uh, coincidental is her son is about to leave the military, and she was telling me about the advice she had given him, which was to go back over his entire military career, he'd been in like nine, nine or 10 years, and think about every injury he'd had, every illness he'd had, and make sure that all of those were recorded and documented in his military records. And she explained to him that those would be critical if he later developed serious problems from any of those events, and that it would be much, much harder for him to prove his eligibility for veterans' benefits if those conditions were not documented. And she, she told me she had uh, very strongly, let's put it that way, told him that on his exit exam, his separation exam, he needed to note every one of those things. He had uh, he'd been in the service, he'd been in the, the Middle East, uh, he was an engineer involved in uh, blowing up bridges and being around burn pits and other bad stuff. So he uh, had uh, a bunch of things that had happened and she was very concerned that he reported because she had seen the difficulties that people had if things weren't reported well in the service. That's, yeah, great, great advice. Would that uh, all our clients had a, a nurse colonel speaking in their ear before discharge. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, from working with so many veterans, we both know about the, the sort of stigma and fear of repercussions um, that come with, with reporting everything. What advice would you have for those service members who, you know, are, just want to grit their teeth and, and move on? Well, you know, unfortunately, especially in basic training, there's a, a strong tendency not to report claims because people fear being labeled as a malingerer or uh, someone who is not doing their best and singled out for special treatment. But it is critically important that any serious injury or even any significant injury, even if it doesn't seem all that serious at the time, be reported and get into your medical records. We've had cases where it really bordered on egregious. We had one gentleman who was separated from the service because of problems with his knee, and the board that separated him from the service said, oh, well, this, this is all a pre-existing problem. It's nothing to do with service. And you know he had not made a point of reporting it and pushing for medical treatment at the time, it, the, the problem became cumulative and eventually he had to report it. But for a lot of people, uh, if they managed to skate by without it getting to the, the level of severity that he did, then not reporting it would have been likely caused their uh, claims to be at least very difficult and, and 
possibly even not winnable once they got out of service. Now, uh, when you you know re report or document an injury or illness in service, that really gets to the heart of service connection. Can you can you talk a little bit about how that's sort of the most uh, direct path toward linking um, you know a, a medical condition that may crop up later to your service? Absolutely. Um, you know, I I can't tell you the number of cases we've had where people had some kind of injury to their back while in service. Fell off a tank, uh, had a bad parachute jump, got uh, a heavy object dropped on them. Uh, one poor fellow got in a dispute with some others and got thrown out a window. And all of those folks uh, reported those injuries. And the result was that we were ultimately able to get them service connection for back problems. But We've had some cases where it proved extremely difficult to uh, establish that there was an injury or event in the service, and that became the stumbling block that we had to overcome to win the case. And I'm happy to say that in, in most of those cases, we were eventually able to come up with some kind of uh, proof sufficient to show that the injury occurred, but it is so much more straightforward if the person reports the injury while in service and at least gets it into their medical records. Now, getting back more to our, our usual target audience, uh, our veterans, what are some of the remedial options out there if someone failed to report an, an injury in service? Uh, what, what can they do now? Well, there are, there are a couple of options. One of the problems um, is that there's, there's not anything in the medical records in service to point to. So you have to work around that. And as you were asking, the ways to do that are, are limited, but they do exist. One of the best ones is to locate someone who served with you in the service and who can recall a particular problem and will submit a written statement saying that um, they were present or they uh, heard you complain about a, a particular problem, or they know that you were on light duty, or they were they had information that would show that it necessarily was a problem while in service. Uh, another alternative, if you can't find someone that you served with, is a person who knew you before service and after service. Uh, we've been able to prevail in several cases where we got statements from family members or uh, ex-wives or uh, a variety of other people who knew someone at the point they were going into the service or were already in the service and then developed a problem and post-service uh, continued to have that problem. Back problems in particular, but uh, other physical injuries, knees, shoulders, you know, all any, any kind of physical injury really. Um, but it's it's really critically important to get some evidence documenting that you didn't have this problem at, at uh, either before you went in or during the early part of your your military career, and you had it by the time you left the service. So what are referred to sometimes as buddy statements, meaning statements from folks who were in the service with you, are very powerful 
but even statements from friends and family after the fact can be sufficient. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody's newly discharged and they suspect that, that they have a condition that may be a problem down the road, uh, is there a, a window that, for them to work in as far as diagnoses and, and documenting? Sure. Um, well, for anybody, the first, uh, first period right after service, if you're having a medical problem, it should be documented because there's a reasonable inference that if you're having a problem soon after you left the service, it, it is likely traceable back to while you were in the service. But in particular, there is a law that says that with certain conditions, if you can show that the condition existed within a year after service, at at least a minimal level, then there is a presumption that it actually occurred during service. One of the ones that is seriously underutilized is uh, arthritis. So if you have an injury in service, typically a, an injury to a joint, ankle, knee, uh, low back, uh, shoulders, whatever, uh, while you're in the service and it's you know, a year or two before you leave the service, it is very likely that you have started developing arthritis in that joint. And if, if we can show that you had arthritis in that joint within a year, then it's typically possible to prove the claim that way. And then as far as, you know, back to current service members, I guess what resources, what supports are out there to, to help in, in making sure any in-service uh, incidents or injuries are reported. I know I've worked on some uh, older cases where somebody will, you know, be in a motor vehicle accident and they end up, you know, it, it happened off base, the emergency personnel take them to the local hospital, something like that. So there really isn't, uh, you know, as clear a connection as if it, if it was something that, you know, happened on the base, things like that. Well, obviously, in those situations, being able to retrieve the records from emergency personnel, hospital, um, doctor who treated them while they were at home on leave, any of those kinds of things will help. The problem is that often, by the time the condition is serious enough to persuade them to make a claim, um, enough time has elapsed that those records aren't retrievable. But even if the underlying record itself is not retrievable, sometimes there is a, an index or a uh, notation that such a record existed. For example, we were able to prove one gentleman's case because the mental health center that he had gone to near the end of his service no longer had the underlying records, but they had an indexing system for patients that um, that they kept permanently in case the patient came back. And that showed that he had been in, that he'd been in while he was in the service, and that he had been diagnosed with an adjustment disorder with depression. So that entry alone was ultimately enough with a current full evaluation and an explanation of how his symptoms had progressed to get him his benefit. And as far as sort of, I'll call them oblique strategies 
concerning uh, exposure to, you know, Agent Orange or the, the rainbow herbicides, uh, you know, if somebody doesn't have, have clear documentation of their, their use, uh, you know, in service, what are some other options for, for showing herbicide exposure? Well, one of the things that is, is starting to kind of perk its way up uh, in those cases is um, EPA um, Environmental Protection Agency records showing that certain bases have high concentrations of the underlying chemicals that were the constituent parts of particularly Agent Orange, but some of the other rainbow herbicides, Agent White, Agent Purple, Agent Blue, uh, and so on, that the EPA records uh, show that there are large uh, concentrations of things like dioxin in the groundwater, for example. That is an unnatural condition. It would not have occurred but for some kind of unusual chemical exposure um, Typically, uh, the rainbow herbicides, uh, which all have dioxin, would contribute to that. So that kind of tangential, if you will, governmental analysis of the, uh, of the area where the person was stationed sometimes works. We recently had a case where we were able to uh, establish that a gentleman was exposed to a significant amount of radiation at one of the military reservations out west he was there when they were when they were first creating it in the 50s and didn't have the kinds of safeguards mm. on radiation exposure that they have today and we were able to demonstrate from from later government reports about that facility that at the time uh, there would have been significant exposure to radiation and this was just a sad case he lost his uh, entire jaw to uh, to cancer and has this titanium implant. It's very hard for him to speak. It's just, uh, just a very sad case. But ultimately, he was able to get veterans benefits because he was able to benefit from the information in these government reports talking about the conditions that had existed back there in the 50s. And I know um, for, for sort of my generation of veterans, what's fast becoming our Agent Orange is the burn pits uh, that, that we used in the Middle East. When yes. people are trying to show burn pit exposure, uh, what sorts of, of evidence are they using there? What, um, you know, if it's not clearly documented in, in their service records? Well, actually, those cases have become uh, much more straightforward recently with the passage of the PACT Act which is an acronym, of course, but it, it stands for protecting our, our veterans from uh, these chemical exposures. And when Christian talks about the burn pits, what was done in the Middle East, uh, Iraq in, in particular, um, as you can appreciate, in a war, lots of things get broken. And what the uh, service, particularly the Army, would do is to just take bulldozers, heap up all the broken stuff, and burn it. And that, of course, rendered it unusable by the enemy. You know, none of it could be repaired and, and uh, used against us. And it was considered a reasonable method of disposal of everything from human excrement to human uh, uh, body parts that had been removed surgically, bloody uh, 
tissue, you know, all kinds of stuff that you, you really wouldn't want around. So the uh, expedient was to, to burn it. And they burned everything. I mean, they burned uh, vehicles, so they burned stuff with plastics and stuff with all kinds of chemicals. The exposure from those burn pits is just amazing. But right now, under the PACT Act, the post-service problems with various kinds of breathing disorders, uh, COPD, asthma, uh, bronchitis, recurrent bronchitis, all that sort of stuff. Most of that is now easier to prove because of presumptions in the PACT Act. But that doesn't cover everything. And obviously, as you mentioned, similar to Agent Orange from the Vietnam era, the burn pits obviously have created a potential for very serious medical problems for a lot of people. It's sort of similar to the problems that firefighters experience. You may have seen some of the, uh, the recent discussions about mm problems that firefighters are exposed to because of the fumes from various kinds of fires. Um, you know, we use a lot of stuff in even a typical office setting that involves sure. plastics or uh, various chemicals, which yeah. when burned oh, and turned into smoke toxic and inhaled, they're terrible. Yeah. Toxic, carcinogenic, et cetera. The works. So it's the same kind of problem from the, from the burn pits these folks weren't firefighters, but they were exposed to the same kind of, of uh, smoke and the uh, cancerous or, or other problem-causing chemicals that were in the smoke. You know, and, and the thing is, firefighters, at least in most instances where there's an anticipation of this kind of exposure, have you know oxygen uh, that they can carry and that sort of thing. Most of these poor folks in the army. Uh, the best they had was a, a, a handkerchief over the nose, which is, doesn't, doesn't really do much. So lots of folks got exposed, and I think over the next 20, 30 years, there's going to be a, a very large number of those claims. And I'm happy to say that uh, President Biden and Congress got themselves together and did a really good job with the PACT Act, extending coverage to lots of people who otherwise would have had their claims turned down. In fact, if you look at the statistics for burn pit claims prior to the PACT Act, 90% of them were turned down. And post-PACT Act, it's a much higher percent than being created. All right, well, we're uh, just about out of time for this week. Did you have any last uh, remarks on the importance of in-service documentation? I, I would just echo what the Colonel said to her son. Make sure you record it all, especially on the separation of the own paperwork. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. This has been Victory Over the VA, our weekly podcast on veterans' disability claims matters with veterans' disability attorney Francis Jackson, myself, Christian Terrison, another one of the attorneys here at Jackson and McNichol. Um, take care and uh, be sure to subscribe and, and tune in next time. Thanks for joining us this week on the Victory Over VA podcast. Make sure to visit our website, veteransbenefits.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show while you're at it. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our free consultation to see how we can help you with your denied claim. 
Simply go to veteransbenefits.com and fill out the form. You fought for us. Now let us fight for you. And be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.